0: Alrighty, Good morning, guys. Woo! Man, that felt good. That last song is like my, my life song right there. Man, just seeing God do it again and again and again. And I had some things this week where, man, there was no way. <laughs> you know, how I many of you were with me on that? Like, there was no way. And if you're still like, there's no way yet, I want to encourage you that God did What we sang this morning in my life over and over again, even this week. He made a way when there was no way. So hang in there, and uh, I am going to systematically attack through the Holy Spirit and the Bible any doubt you may have today. So we're going to leave here full of joy. But first, but first, if you're visiting with us, uh, thank you for coming. I want to meet you. I'm the lead pastor here. My name's John, and I'll be hanging out down here after our worship service. Again, I'd love to meet you. There should be a Connect card in front of you. Looks something like this here. Uh, Right in front of you in the pew. We'd love it if you filled that guy out. And uh, right after our service here, on the other side of that wall, there's a couple of really cool-looking tables. You can drop it off to some smiling faces. They want to meet you. And we have a free Muddy's gift card. There's a couple of locations right here on Valencia, Muddy's Coffee Shop, as well as a nice little book. Uh, from Tim Keller, who's a fantastic, fan, fantastic pastor in New York. So thank you guys so much for coming. Write down any questions you may have. We'd love to hit you up for some coffee or whatever and uh, hang out with you, tell you a little bit more about what we're trying to do here at Bethel. Um, we got something going on here, and it's becoming a little bit of a good problem. We're hanging out after church, just getting to know each other. So if you want to hang out, if you're visiting with us or you're a long-time a long uh, member or whatever, uh, meet us right out here in the lobby. We're just kind of mowing around, look for myself or look for my wife. And uh, what we do is we try to go get some food uh, in the city. The problem is our group is growing, and, and uh, you know how small these restaurants are. So when we go out there, and uh, there's like 15 or 20 of us, uh, we have people now who are removing people from tables in our group. They're like bouncers. Yeah, it's kind of getting weird, but if you want to hang out with us, uh, meet us in the lobby right after our service, and uh, it's just a great way, again, to meet people. Another way to meet people, guys, is our community groups. We have our community group page on our website. Make sure you check that out. And this Thursday, the community group that I lead, I lead a Thursday community group. We're going to go down to uh, Golden Gate Park. They got a light show going on um, Thursday evening. If you want to come hang out, even if you're not a part of our community group, if you just want to hang out, um, shoot me an email. There's a Get Connected email in our bulletin. Shoot us an email. We'll let you know how to rally either down at the park or whatever. But we will be going down there. Again, we want to, we want to build relationships, and these are all avenues to do that. Two quick things, you guys, and then I want to jump into this. I'm so excited to preach on what I'm preaching on today. <clears throat> Two quick announcements. Um, Remember our confident living ministry our Wednesday night ministry. We need table leaders. We need table leaders There is a sign up sheet in our at the info desk Make sure you sign up because we got to have enough table leaders to do this ministry If you need more info on what confident living is see me and uh, I will give you the rundown. Also, we're having our harvest fair uh, on Halloween night, and uh, it's a massive event. How many of you guys have been to harvest fair? Yeah, oh, come on now, give us a better woohoo. All right, all right. Well, it's a fantastic event. About a 1,000 people from the neighborhood swing into our garage. The garage is totally transformed, but it really takes a team of people. And so we are building a team. If you want to be a part of that, if you're artistic or not, uh, if you just want to do something for Jesus Christ in our community, sign up at our info desk. We also need a certain number there if we're going to do something that large. But I'm super excited uh, about that. Let me encourage you guys to do a couple things. Take steps towards Jesus, whether that's joining Bethel, saying, this is my home, this is my church, uh, or it's jumping into a community group, or it's becoming a part of the band, or whatever it is, start praying and taking steps deeper into the community called Bethel and towards Jesus Christ, all right? Sound good? Are you ready? I want to do some, I want God to do something so special today. If you are here and you're battling guilt, I want you to leave free. I mean, I just want you to leave so free. This is probably the last sermon in this series we've been calling Summer of Love. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to preach on next week, but you don't want to miss it. <laughs> and you, you definitely want to bring a friend too. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is my last uh, sermon in this series on love. I don't know about you, but I have transformed so much talking about love. Now on PBS, if you, uh, <laughs> if you have too much time on your hands, uh, you can look on their website And uh, there's a new documentary on the Summer of Love, 1967. Is that right? 67? How many of you guys were at the Summer of Love? 67? Oh, come on. We're talking about grace today. (laughs) Well, this documentary, um, it really works through everything that was going on during that time and why people came and why it took off and why literally tens of thousands of of people came to the city. And... uh, in 1967, it was the peak in American history for young people. There were more young people than there have ever been in America during 1967, and so everybody comes here. And one of the one of the big terms that were that was used when people rallied in Golden Gate Park and everywhere else was the be in It was the human B-in, right? The human B-in. And so i you know, and that is like everybody can be in everybody can gather here and fit in we're breaking down all barriers and all fears like we're coming together and here's what the documentary said as, as uh, the interviewer was interviewing this guy from 1967 he goes like this you guys and I want you to think of Christianity we are trying to do what no one has ever done in this culture this got me so excited and then he goes like this we're trying to find a new way for humanity I know I'm like ah me too And I wish we had a hundred thousand people. But that's the very essence of Christianity is Jesus coming and showing us a new way to be human. A new way to love. A new way to attack racism in our own hearts. A new way to attack hate in our own hearts. A new way to come together and and feed the poor and love each other and show the life of God to other people. Like this is this is what Jesus came to do. He came to say here's a new way to be human. And like if you're like why go to church? Like okay I'm trying this out. This friend kind of brought me here whatever because we are on a journey together to find out what it looks like to be truly human and as we grow in Jesus Christ the true human and we see his life show up more and more and we learn how to we learn how to sing this language of love more and more we become more truly human it's an amazing idea amazing stuff so I want to talk about God's love for one more week is that okay I mean man you can't you can't exhaust this subject like if you want to talk about my love that's a two-part series. We could preach for years on the love of God. The love of God, the love of God. Why, why the love of God? Well, before I go into the love of God, I want to set this up a little bit because there's something that's stopping us from experiencing the love of God. How many of you can remember a time that where you were just totally, totally embarrassed or totally, totally humiliated or totally ashamed? Just slip up your hand. This could be it. <laughs> Publicly slip up your hand about shame. Shame is a tough thing to talk about, but don't lose me here because I want to I want I want God to crush shame and heal shame today. Um, and I think shame is one of the number one things that stops the love of God from being experienced. But shame is a powerful thing. Uh, the, the moments where we are in places of shame, they they literally never leave us. I can remember to this day, my wife and I went out to dinner last night. Um, we're hanging out down in Valencia, and I asked her this question: "Like, honey." What what is like one of the biggest, nothing crazy or anything, but what are some of the biggest memories of shame and embarrassment you had? And so she's we're like swapping these stories. And here's the story I told her. I'm like, okay, so in the fifth grade, and I'm gonna get to first John 4 in just a minute, but I gotta I gotta tell you this story to set it up. In the fifth grade, I was a I was I was I was a bad kid. I was like a really bad kid. Um and recess was my place. I went to school to go to recess pretty much. And I didn't even go to recess. I went to recess because I owned, guys, I owned the football field. I'm just preaching. I'm preaching today. I own that football field. And I had like a whole squad, like all the inner city kids who were on our our normal football team. We would show up at recess when I went to school together, and we would play the normal kids at football. And we would crush him. I loved it. It was fantastic stuff. I obviously needed Jesus. Uh, But man, it was fantastic stuff. So Um, I was getting in so much trouble playing football. (laughs) Like, yeah, I know, I know, I'm working through it. I was getting in so much trouble playing football on the recess fields that my principal um, forced me into band. What's up with that? He's like, John, you need to, band practice goes on during recess, and you must go join the band. (laughs) Like, no more recess, kid. And I'm like, you know, by force, I'm begrudgingly going to do this thing. And so I'm not kidding you guys. I pick the loudest instrument just to create havoc. I'm like, you're going to force me into band? I can play this game. And so they let you choose your instrument. I chose a saxophone. Like, I just wanted to be like, BAM! And disrupt everything. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not kidding. I told you I, I, I have problems. And so I joined this band, you guys, and, you know, kind of forced into this band. And all of a sudden, like three weeks in, and I'm not kidding you, um, I, I don't know if I played a note for three weeks. I literally did this, because there were two other saxophone saxophoneists or players or whatever next to me, and like 30 other kids playing other instruments. And I would go like this, but I wouldn't play. I would just, so they would think I was playing. Yeah, that's why they won't let me in the band. And so all of a sudden the teacher says, well, in three weeks we're going to have a test on the material that we have been playing. I'm talking about shame and humiliation here. And uh, he- here's, what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go around the room and everybody's going to stand up and they're going to play a four-minute part and then they're going to sit back down. The next person's going to stand up, play the four-minute part. Now, let me remind you, I have not played a note since I joined the band. And I'm not about to start practicing at home because I play football. And so I put this thing off until the test day. I forgot about it. I show up at band practice, I sit down, and all of a sudden I'm like, no way. This is test day. And I watched watched the teacher who I'm still bitter about, but I'm getting through it, I'm working on it. And uh, I watch her call on, you know, chair one. They stand up. She does the flute thing, and then she sits down. It's like perfect, you know, and I'm like, man, what's up with that? Next person stands up. They do the clarinet thing, and it's just perfect. They sit down, and you guys, it's like a monster growing. Like, I can watch it getting closer to me. Every person stands up, sits down. It's getting closer and closer. I need to get out of this. I, I, I need to get out of this, and I will. I've got to find a way, and I'm thinking on my feet at this point, I've got to find a way to get out of this because I don't want to stand up, fail, and be utterly humiliated. That's shame. I'm not going there. And so I'm sitting there thinking hard like this, like, and then I realize I have somewhat of a loose tooth. I start grabbing that tooth, and I start yanking on that tooth, thinking if I can rip my tooth out, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm like, if I can rip this tooth out and bleed a lot, I'm out of here. But I will not be humiliated. I will not feel shame. And I'm not kidding you, like chair after chair, I'm just, you know, you can hear the roots popping and all that, and it's, I, yeah, I know. And the closer I get, I, this tooth is almost out, and about two chairs down, like a champion, like I just scored a touchdown, that tooth pops out, and I just hold it up, blood and all. I'm just like, <laughs> I know, guys, I know, It's terrible. And the teacher, I mean, I'm I'm not even sure what the girl did, but I know the teacher looked right at me. And she's like, John, what is going on? I got this toothy grin, like blood is running down my face. And I'm like, I can't do the test. I got to go. She's like, yeah, you do. Go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. And the whole time I'm like, you know, fist pumping, dabbing, the whole thing. And I'm just like, yes. All of that, you guys, to avoid shame. What is going on with shame? What is that feeling? What is that fear? This this is a working definition of what shame does. Some of you guys should write this down because I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm saying this to liberate you. Some of you are stuck in shame. You've done things that you are struggling with and you're struggling towards people and God and we can break that today. Here's what shame is. Shame is the threat of being unlovable. That's all it is. It's, it's just the threat of being unlovable. You see, I'm so desperate to fit in as a human being that if I stand up with a saxophone and I'm like, hey guys, all 30 of you, I have no idea how to play this thing. I've been faking it the whole time and then I sit back down. The great fear is that I won't be loved. The great fear is that I won't be accepted. And I'm made to be loved and be accepted. And if I was to ask you this morning, serious guys, how many of you guys believe that love, being loved and belonging is the most important human experience. How many of you would say that? And if you're like, ah, I don't know about that, well, Genesis 3, we're gonna find out in just a minute, that's the very two things that were lost. Um, any, any Harry Potter fans here? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. The Dementors, you guys remember the Dementors in the books or the movies? This is what shame feels like. Um, when, the, when the author, and I'll throw an awful slide up here in just a minute, when the author of Harry Potter um, describes these Dementors, there are these monsters that come, and I want you to think about shame, and that's why these authors do that. Uh, these authors write these things to, to, to kind of capture the idea of shame. What happens is um, these Dementors will come, and they'll suck the light from you. They'll suck the light from you, and they'll leave you in a state of, of no energy, of sadness, of embarrassment, they will, they will suck all the joy out of you. And that's what shame is like. And if you think about it, um, here's what it feels like when you live in shame. In the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering. In the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering, you guys. You say, why should I belong to a church to get this from God and people? And the abs yeah take a picture. Some of you guys are trying to sneak up phones and stuff. Just do it. Just this is important stuff. We are designed to be free. I mean, God has created us as human beings to dance in our spirits. I mean, I'm talking about true freedom. Um, And what's happening, you guys? Let me talk a little bit about culture here. And again, I'm going to jump into First John, chapter four. We're gonna we're gonna kill this thing. What's happening is we're we're coming into what, what I'm calling a shame culture. Some of you are from honor cultures. Different places in the world. Your families have come from different places in the world. And honor, honor is everything. Like you do nothing to mess with the family name or reputation. Nothing. I'm from the West Coast. I'm from Seattle. We know nothing about any of that. Like we have our own values. We make them up as we go. But I think what we're moving into is more of a shame culture. Like this was the lowest, I was telling our our small group this, this was the lowest turnout for voters in the history of voting percentage-wise. Now, we have a lot of reasons why, uh, depending on, you know, looking at these candidates and all that. But at the same time, you guys, here's what everybody was saying. We're sick and tired of watching two people who are supposed to lead our country just shame each other. I mean, it's not about ideas and how to go forward. It's about shaming each other. And here's what what voters were saying, not me. Here's what voters were saying. We live in enough shame ourselves, we don't want to see our future leaders shaming each other. We just cut it off. Or you think, about, you think about social media, which is not wrong. We use it here at the church. I use it personally. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with social media, but we can create a shame culture. We are terrified of being normal. And that's why, like, if you, you know, if you have, if you have dinner and you have a hamburger, you take four pictures and put it on, like, Pinterest, right? That's like the new law. When you order food, you've got to take a picture and throw it up on social media. We have to let people know that we're not ordinary. Yeah, has this here's my question and by by the way you guys some of you are from churches that created a a shame culture and that's why that's why some people struggle with church today and I I thank God for your boldness if that's where you've come from there are certain church environments where it's all about performing and it's all about looking a certain way and if you don't fit into that mold you're shamed you're pushed away I just talked to two people this week who've been through that and they've walked away from church they love Jesus, they just don't want to be back in that environment. They want to be transparent, they want to be free, and they want to grow in Jesus and not have to hide who they are. So what we have to do is create a culture of grace and love as a church, not, not a shame culture built on performance, because that's not the gospel. And my big question is, guys, has our culture of shame and our churches that have implemented shame, has this impacted our experience with God? Because if you failed God... And if you breathe air, you failed God. If you failed God and you live in shame towards God, and yet He's going like this: Come to me. Come dance with me. Come live with me. Let me breathe joy into you. Let me breathe life into you. Let me do things with you you never dreamed. Oh, and you know the things you failed at? (laughs) Watch me spin them into power. And then catapult you into another person's life so you can radically transform them through growing through your own failure. Like God is saying, come to me. Don't, don't run away. Come to me. But, but all this shame in our culture and all this wacky stuff going on in churches, man, I gotta ask the question, has that impacted our view of God? Uh, let me jump us to Genesis 3 in verse 8. You say, where are you getting all this from? Is in the Bible? Yeah, this is how it all began right here. Check this out. Everything was going good. You got, you got the first humans, they're walking with God. Like, I can't even, I can't even fathom this. Like, I walk with God, but not, not the way they walked with God. They're walking with God. They're soaked. They're drowning in love. Like, they're drowning. They are taking gasps of normal air. God is, God is pouring love on them. They're communing with God. It's the greatest experience ever. And, and by the way, from that love they're feeling with God they're pouring it out on each other there's just like love is the language of the first human beings and all of a sudden they think there's a better way and so they shift they decide we're not going to listen to God in his way even though we're experiencing this amazing thing over here we're going to do it our way and they do what Christians call sin they they do the opposite of what God wants and the whole thing comes undone now watch what happens in verse 8 and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hear this God of love who's after them. Come to me. I'm here. Like, come, talk. Let me love you. Let me blow your mind. Let me just, let me, let me saturate you in love. So he, he comes to love them. And the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hide their bodies and they hide themselves. God is coming. Hide. We're not good enough. We're full of shame. We've failed. And yet God is pursuing them. Now that is in every human being. When it comes to God, we run. And the whole essence of the gospel, the whole whole core of Christianity is to reverse that, is for Jesus Christ to save us, and Jesus to now say, come to God, it's nothing but love. That's the gospel. The hard part is we say, okay, we're Christian people, but man, that's hard to live by. And what happens, especially with your relationship with God, you guys, when you live in shame, two things typically happen. We either try to cover our guilt, just like Adam and Eve, you know, with the... The tree branches and all that like oh we gotta we gotta cover our guilts and let's just let's settle for a shallow relationship okay I know God is gonna find me eventually but I'm still gonna hide and it's gonna be kind of this weird awkward thing or two we're gonna live in self-anger because we're someone we never wanted to be and that's the other thing Adam and Eve did they not only hid from God and had this really messed up relationship, but they started fighting with each other. They were mad. They started passing blame. I hate who I am and I hate my failure, so I'm, I'm taking it out on you. And they're even bitter at God. And God's like, no, 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 no. And so guys, I wanna, I wanna encourage you. If you're here today and you're feeling that, we need a healing service today. Tim Keller, one of my heroes, he said these words, very powerful words. Here's what you need. Here's what I need. To be loved but not known. To be loved but people don't really know the real me is comforting but superficial. You see, and let me just pause on this quote. If you you love me but you only know a little bit about me because I'm ashamed of my story, it's love but it's not deep love. Deep love comes when you say, I know you, you know me. Story and all, junk and all, and we still love each other the same. So Keller goes to be loved, but but not really known. It's comforting, but it's superficial. To be known, like you really let someone know, like this is my story, and not loved is our greatest fear. Like if you know me, if you find out about me, and you reject me, like that's one of the worst pains. But to be fully known, here's my story, here's my past, here's my mistake this week, to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Keller goes like this, it is what we need more than anything. Are you with me? Don't be ashamed to say amen. And that's what we find in 1 John. Uh grab a pew Bible, whatever, grab your tablet, and let's look at First John here for a few minutes. Um one one verse, maybe two verses, it's enough. I've been feeding on First John 4, 18 One half of it for a whole week. It's got that much to it. It's a feast. So go to First John, and here's what John is doing. John is an early church leader, that's all. And he's writing this letter to a bunch of churches. And these churches, you guys, just like us, man, such little has changed in history. Just like us, they've been told all these things about God, how God views them. And a lot of it's come from other religions. Um, there There are two primary forms that cover all religions. I have a relationship with God through grace. Or all other religions that say I have a relationship with a God or gods based on how good I am. That's it. So John writes this letter and he goes, look, you're Christians and you're living in shame and guilt because of your past or, or you're present or maybe your, your marriage didn't work out or maybe you're, you're not the person who you want to be. And so you're not, you're not striving in the power that God wants you to have. You're not doing the, the things, attempting the things that God wants you to do in your marriage or your family or with Jesus because of shame. You're frozen. You're frozen. And his letter basically lays this out. He's like this, if you fear shame and rejection, especially with God, you'll never attempt. You'll never attempt. But if God's love casts out fear and shame, if we can get a hold of God's love and he can just wipe the slate clean every second and say, you did that? Okay, Jesus, Jesus died for that. You are blood soaked. You're blood covered by the blood of Jesus. All of that's forgiven. All of that's wiped away. Get up and let's go. Let's do this thing. Believe in my grace. John's like, if you get this, we will have a group of people that will change the city. We will have a group of people who change homes, who change workplaces. So look at what he says in 1 John 4, 18. It's a huge verse. He goes like this. There is no fear in love if you will understand daily the love of God, you will not have to fear Him. You only fear God based on your mistakes because you don't understand the depth of His love. Did you get that? He goes, stop fearing God because God loves you. Well, how much does God love me though? Because that's the trick, right? We go, well, I know. Okay, I hear this message that God loves me, but how, how much does He love me? Because I've done these things. Therefore, his love has, has decreased, has it not? He goes, there is no fear in love. Stop fearing God. He loves you. How much love? What does that love look like? Perfect love casts out fear. No matter what you did this morning, if, if, if you came here fighting with your partner, like you just came here like, don't even talk to me. Don't even sit by me. Or if you had a really bad week where you did things like, if someone found out right now, you would crawl under a pew or run out of here. God has perfect love on you if you're in Christ. No shame, no rejection. He refuses to do it. This is why we're designed to be in a gospel community. We have to come together once a week, twice a week, three times a week, simply to remind ourselves over and over again that, yes, we are finite, broken human beings. We are doing our best, but living this life flawlessly is like catching a cannonball. You're not going to do it. It's going to crush you. You're going to make mistakes. And, guys, we've got to remind ourselves that God's love has not lessened on you. Get up. Do not fear. And let's do something great this week. Okay, that's an amen moment. Give me some of this. Yeah, like I'm pouring out my heart And I started sweating right there I was feeling some shame So I gotta have a little of that You gotta work with me, alright Get excited about this thing First uh, 1 John 1-4, check this out This is a good pastor right here He goes, not me, John He goes like this 1 John 1-4 Why are you writing this letter, John? What do you want? We are writing these things So that our joy may be complete Like I want When you walk out of here, I want your joy to be complete. How do we get there? We have a collision today. Your shame needs to collide with the gospel of Jesus Christ until it's wiped out. So write that down. If you struggle with shame this morning, and it's perfect timing because we're going to the table, and that's all about grace right there. It's all about the reminder of grace right there. So if you're struggling this morning, here's, here's what I want you to write down. If you're struggling with shame, create a hostile environment for shame to live in. I love that. Just create a hostile environment for shame. Like, shame, you are not going to feel comfortable in this head and heart today. Like, I'm going to rock you. And here's here's the hostile environment that I'm going to create shame, and you're going to collide. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that because of what Jesus did on the cross, his love will never fail you. Let's get after this. So if you struggle with shame, I want us together in this worship service to create a hostile environment for it and we're going to drag our shame into the gospel and watch the gospel light crush it down. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. You guys good? Are these hard topics? Okay, good. We'll do part two next week. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> now, I think one of the hardest things for me to accept, because I'm surrounded by human beings who are doing their best to love, and I'm doing my best to love, but when people do me wrong, my love dips. I'm a human. Um, the hard part to accept is that God's love doesn't, because we don't experience any of that anywhere on this earth. So it takes an immense amount of supernatural faith from the Holy Spirit to actually accept this amazing message. But check this out. First John 4, 17. Just grab... Just grab the first part of this verse. He goes like this. By this is love perfected with us. Now he's just described Jesus going to the cross. And then he goes like this. By this is love perfected with us. Here's what he just said. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, his love is maxed out on you. His love is maxed out. He cannot love you any higher and he refuses to love you any lower. Now that, that's kind of amazing because I, I think you can have an overload of the love of God and Paul says we haven't even touched the depth of this thing. So if you're weary this morning, man, if you're struggling this morning, if, if, you're, if you're even thinking about on things that like you did in the past and you're stuck in the past because you've never moved past that thing, like you've, you've called yourself that that act, like your identity is an act in time, and you're stuck. Like John is like, that's not your identity. God's love is maxed out on you. It can go no higher. Now, that that is a crazy thought because this is the author of love. Um, What what does it feel like when God's love is maxed out? In other words, God, God is going like this. I could not pour more love into you right now. Every ounce of my love is on you. And here's why. How much does God love Jesus? It's kind of a weird question. Think about that. How much does the Father love the Son? I, I believe if I stepped into that love, like here's the Father and here's the Son and they're loving each other. If, I feel like if I stepped into that, I may, be, I may like stop existing or become fully human or something weird. Like that is an immense power right there. So, so John goes like this. Remember this. If you're in Christ Jesus, then as much as the Father loves Jesus, the Father loves you because you and Jesus are one. End of story. That's it. And you can't get any more. I remember going to a steakhouse in Roseville. We got a, for uh, my birthday, we got a gift card and uh, we went up to this Brazilian steakhouse. Now, I'm a meat eater. I'm sorry, you guys. We'll talk after church. I'm not just a meat eater. It's bad. And I know, I'm gonna get at least three emails right now. Like, your digestive tract has gotta be wounded, right? Okay, I'm working on it. I'm, I will read the emails, I promise. But I, I'm a big meat eater. And so when I, when I get a gift card to a Brazilian all-you-can-eat meat house, like I'm like, it's on. Yeah, like, so, some of you are like, amen, preach that. That's in the Bible. And so Jess and I, we, we roll up to Roseville, Rockland, and we go into this Brazilian all-you-can-eat steakhouse. And you guys, it's like heaven. Like angels are singing in there. I'm, it was insane. And like you guys, I know gluttony is a sin, but like I'm not ashamed. <laughs> and I, we sit down and my wife's like, a, you know, she's a very dainty eater. And, and I'm just like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and it, was, it should have been illegal because what you have is you have a card. One side is green. One side is red. So you don't even have to speak. There's no time. You flip green, and it's go. And the waiter will bring carts around of meat, and they'll keep throwing them on your table. And it got to the point where I got so full. I, I've never actually been to this, this state of health or unhealthiness until I went to the steakhouse. I could not put any more in me. I was going to die. <laughs> and then I'm like, man, what a great way to die. And, and it, yeah, the most beautiful system, like, I don't even have to say stop. I just kind of, I was kind of slumped over on, on another chair, and I just barely moved the card to red, and then just, uh, kind of laid there. And it was, it was all fun and games, and I'm not kidding you. When I left that place, though, I was actually a bit worried. Like, I, I have pain in me right now. Like, this is not okay. Like, my stomach is going to rupture any minute. And I, I realized, like, I, I cannot put any more meat in me. That is what the love of God is like. We're so messed up if I got to communicate the love of God like that. (laughs) But I'm serious, you guys. Like, God could not pour more love. And I'm going to freak some of you out right here if I haven't already. Um, If you're in Christ Jesus, he's singing about you right now. And I know I, I I say it from time to time here. I always thought it was like a bad rap song. Like, he's like... I'm tired of you down there, or something like that. It's not. Like he's thinking about us and singing about us. Yeah, but what about what about that stuff I've done? Hasn't changed it. Hasn't changed the song. The song is loved always. And when you don't think God accepts you and loves you, you give shame incredible power. I mean, you are you are igniting it. You are throwing gasoline on a fire. You are giving shame. The power it needs to freeze you right where you're at. And that's why the devil is called the accuser. All he's got to do is accuse you so you question God's love and you freeze. You're done. And that's why we got to have collisions with the gospel daily. Like i got to remind myself and i got to sing about these things like God loves me. And he doesn't just love me like I love people. He loves me like an all-you-can-eat meat house. And here's what love is, guys. And this is how God wants to have a relationship with you. Love is when, here's a definition of love. Love is when we allow our deepest, most vulnerable selves to be seen and accepted. That's love. And God through Christ is like, I not only see the real you. Like, I, I see you. I know what you did. And I love you the same. And what's kind of a trip, it's like, I don't want to think about like, my failures in order to think about the love of God. What's weird is, when I think about how much I've, I've messed up this week, it actually is the very thing that's, that's exploding this love in my head, in my heart. I'm like, but I've done these things, Lord. And that magnifies His faithfulness and His love towards me. So you guys, you've got, you got a choice to make. If you're living in shame, if you're struggling, you have two options. That's it. You only got two options on what you're going to do this afternoon. Two options. You either walk into your story and you own it. I did it. It is a part of my story, but it has never shaken God's love and belief in me. Or you can stand outside your story because you're ashamed of something, and man, you're going to live in regret. And God does not want that. First John 4 17. Let's check the second half out. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Like, I know God loves me. When I stand before God one day, it's it's all good. It's all good. And all the myths, like your life is going to be thrown up on like a big screen for all the saints and angels to see. That's a lie. Like, there's no big screens in the Bible. All of that is junk. All of that does not live within the gospel. God is love. God is acceptance. God, God is faithfulness. God is pursuing you. He goes, I've got confidence in the day of judgment. Watch this. Because as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. And you're like, John, what would you just say right there? Me or the? Okay. Here's what what he says. Just as God loved Jesus while Jesus was walking through this crazy, broken world, God loves you the same as you walk through this crazy world. That is the Christian gospel. 1 John 3.21, look at this. He goes, beloved, loved always. You know, the word beloved means loved always. Like, that's what, that's what he calls Christians. Hey, loved always. That'd be a good one. Like, what's up? What's up, loved always? Like, we should start walking around doing that. Like, imagine what that would do to us when we walked into church. Loved always. That's what, he, that's, that's what he's, he's talking about. John uses it. Paul uses it. They get this thing. They're like, oh, by the way, let me just, let me just stop. Some of you right now, I promise you, some of you right now are saying, dude, if you preach this type of stuff, people are gonna, they're gonna make really bad decisions. That is not true. That is not true. Um, if, I, if I tell my wife, hey, I want you to do what I tell you uh, or else. Like one, she's never gonna do it. She's gonna be like, please, are you serious? If I love my wife, if I just love this lady, she's gonna want to do the things we've agreed on. I mean, that's what uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.14, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. I, I live for Jesus, not, not because I'm scared, not because I'm, I'm trying to regain points with him. It's because he loves me so much. Like, I want, I want to live for this one. I trust him. I'm, I'm blown away. So love, love is not going to give you a license to sin. Love is going to give you a motivation to follow. Swim in it. So he goes, First John uh, 3.21, he goes like this. Beloved, loved always, if our heart does not condemn us, like, if you know you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, look, you've got confidence before God. Don't be like Adam and Eve. Like, if you mess up, stop running away from him. Start running to him. He's not your judge. He's your father. And he's like, come here. We're going to clean this up. Oh, we're not not only going to clean this up. I'm going to make you a better person through this. That's what love does. I remember reading this. This saying, uh, a long time ago, I, I've written it just about everywhere I can find. We can forgive a child who is afraid of the dark, but the real tragedy is when a child is afraid of the lights. If we're children of the light, and God has nothing but love and grace towards His children, it'd be one thing if, if if God wasn't our Father and we were rejecting Him and all this. It'd be one thing going to Him. It'd be one thing thinking about my failures. But when you're in the family of God, he is light, he is hope, he is love, he is grace, he is forgiveness. It's a real weird thing when we run away from him. And that's again why we need a community always reminding us of this. Everything, guys, everything. Your failures. Everything is either an opportunity to grow or an obstacle to keep you from growing. And if you will accept God's grace and love, you will see even your your worst moments in your life as opportunities to grow under the grace of God. I almost asked if anybody has seen Fisher King, but don't see Fisher King. Uh, If you have, you know what I'm talking about. Um, It's a Robin Williams film, and uh, he lived here, yeah? Yeah, Yeah, I think I drive by his house every now and then in drool. Um, But uh, I was reading a a quote, a, a piece out of Fisher King, and uh, Robin Williams is trying to build this relationship with this girl. And this girl is really awkward. Like, she, she doesn't walk well. She doesn't talk well. She's kind of mousy. She's, just, she's strange. And she has done some bad things. She has done some bad things over and over again. Her name is Lydia. Um, Robin Williams is this homeless guy. His name is Perry. And he, he's just trying to get this girl to realize, I love you. And she won't do it because she's like, you can't love me. I've got all this baggage. And the dialogue goes like this. Perry Robin Williams turns to her because he's trying to get away from him. Stop loving me. You don't want to love me. You don't want to know me. I'm a total disaster. And Robin Williams goes like this. I know you hate your job. And you don't have many friends. I know sometimes you feel a little uncoordinated. A little goofy. And you don't feel as wonderful as everybody else. And feeling alone. And as separate as you feel you are. And he leans in. And he goes, regardless of all of that, I love you. And there's this long pause in the movie. And <laughs> I start tearing up. There's this long pause in the movie. And this girl looks back at Robin Williams. And she reaches out almost and almost scared, and she touches his face and she goes like this. You're real, aren't you? As if to say, why would anybody love me like that? And that's what God's trying to do this morning. He's like, I know all about you. I know your failures. I know your, your mind and how it goes wild. I know what you've done. Man, I love you. And we need to reach back and you know, I like this girl and just be like man you're real. You're real aren't you? And God be real to me this morning. First John 4:19. Let me shut down with this. Maybe you're, maybe you're here and you're like, "Okay, but what do I got to do to engage in this love? Like, I'm tired of feeling this way. What do I got to do?" <laughs> Nothing. First John 4:19. We love God because he first loved us. What, what is John trying to say there? God's love always moves first. Like if you're here this morning and you are broken over something you've done, if you're struggling, God's love has already moved towards you. There's nothing he's waiting for you to do. We get this Christian doctrine in our minds like, well, as soon as I do this, then he'll come back, you know, he'll be okay. No, he's the pursuer. God's love always moves first. It never, ever, ever waits for us. It's already on you. No matter what we've done, Because we're in Christ Jesus. And everything about God's nature drives him powerfully towards you. We love God this morning. Because in spite of everything we've done, God has already soaked us in his love. Let's kill shame this morning. Let's pray together. And we're about to go to the table this morning and we need to have a true spiritual experience with God. You can't be frozen anymore. And here's what I want us to do collectively. I want you to gather those painful things, those those things you wish weren't a part of your story. And I want you to literally visualize Jesus Christ standing in the pew behind you, in the aisle behind you. And I want you to feel his hands on your shoulders. And I want you to hear his voice saying, I know all about it. And I love you. Get there. I want you to hear him lean in close to your ear and tell you, this is not you. It does not define you. And I want you to let go of it. Who can separate us from the love of God? Well, the Bible speaks to it nothing. It is Christ who's died and has risen again, keeping you loved and forgiven every second. It is only us who refuse to forgive ourselves. And if Jesus Christ this morning is is telling you with sweet love, my love never ends, it never quits. I have maximized it. It cannot drop one, one bit. And Whatever you've done, all I'm gonna do is use it to make you more like me. So walk out of that tomb. Breathe this morning you guys Breathe You are free You are forgiven Feel his presence right now He's looking at us right now Like like violent waves He has Crushed All that stained us off tomorrow gets messy he will do it again and again and again feel this love pray to him talk to him cry out to him feel his presence we need you Lord faith Lord we believe Lord but help our unbelief there's parts of us like we just can't let go we are new creations in Christ Jesus old things old old things have passed away Lord help us believe it we are, we are loved always. Our new identity, Lord Jesus, is loved always. Oh, let, the, let our spirits glide, dance. And may we run hard after you. As we go to the table, Lord, as we remember the body and the blood, Tell us the story again. It's, it's covered. It's destroyed. The evil one has been destroyed. The cup is empty. The wrath is gone. No judgment. You are victor. I pray as the cup and the, the bread is passed, Lord, that you will do something absolutely supernatural in the hearts of people, that you would heal. And as they sing to you, Father, something would snap and click in beautiful ways as your love drowns us in joy this morning. We are more than okay. We are forgiven. And we are the children of light. And you are the father of light and we want to run to you this morning. So heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep worshiping, you guys. Keep preparing your hearts.